Good evening. I'm Andrew and welcome to Geoengineering with Reviewer 2, where those who can do and those who can't podcast. Hello, I'm Claire. So this week uh, we've had quite a bit going on uh, in terms of papers out. Uh, just a quick pricey of some of the things that have been released, uh, the ones that I think are perhaps a little more interesting and significant, mainly glean from the Twitter sphere. We're going to do a deep dive into a couple of them later. So uh, Hugh Hunt, uh, who I've personally collaborated with, um, has been doing some interesting work on uh, Arctic climate interventions. Um, it's a paper that's not got perhaps as much attention as it should have done. Um, this actually overlaps to some extent with work that I'm doing um, currently uh, in terms of uh, looking at uh, interventions in uh, the cryosphere to try and reduce sea level rise. Um, these kind of direct geoengineering methods have, have, have been given pretty scant attention really. The idea of jamming glaciers and diverting sea flows to try and preserve the ice directly. Um, I think this is really interesting because uh, in my view adaptation to temperature changes is uh, I wouldn't say easy. I certainly wouldn't want to trivialise um, big ecosystem shifts and change in agricultural regions. But I think that uh, sea level rise is the kind of Cinderella um, of, of climate change. It doesn't get enough attention and it's likely to cause more disruption, in my view, than um, probably most of the other effects combined, certainly in the longer term. Um, what, what are your thoughts on this, Claire? I'd you know, like to hear from you. Do you think sea level rise has been neglected or not? I do. I think there's a general perception that it's a kind of a future thing. So there's the sort of, you know, the future discounting. Well, it's not really going to affect us, um, which is a mistake and just incorrect. Um, for example, in, in I know Miami, they, they do sort of lots of surreptitious preparing for flooding and the city floods quite regularly, but they just don't talk about it. It's kind of yeah. like a quiet secret that nobody wants to really acknowledge. Yeah, it's really interesting, actually, just talking about that cultural aspect, I, I totally get that. I went to a, um, uh, a um, com conference in Houston, the middle of oil country, and it was about um, carbon dioxide removal and related technologies. And everyone was talking about, you know, basically using CDR techniques for um, geoengineering, but they just didn't dare mention climate change. It was all this, this huge sort of cultural taboo. And it was quite <laughs> remarkable, really, in, in terms of just the, the, the culture shock of going there. Everyone was you know, very polite, very well turned out. They all wore suits. It was very much unlike a normal academic conference. But they had this, everyone was there and they kind of knew what they were all there for, but it was all a bit kind of in the closet. Um, it wasn't seen as acceptable to mention, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the geoengineering, uh, sorry, uh, global warming is like kind of a taboo term to them. Um, so it's interesting you should you should mention that that um, uh, resilience. And I think that's what they call it in America. They call it, you know, improving resilience and that basically it's like adaptation, but they're not allowed to call it adaptation. Um, when do you think that the sea level rise um, thing will become, you know, more sort of political hot potato? I mean, are we looking at something within our lifetimes or is it really only going to kick in in a big way? In, 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 you know, the further future. I can sort of divert on a rant about sort of what about is and politics is sort of we don't really care because it's not an electoral cycle. Um, but that's not really useful in terms of this discussion. But I think it just gets lost in the kind of the general noise and the clatter and the kind of, like you say, the sort of a cultural business dissonance with, well, we, we want to make money from these technologies, but we don't want to acknowledge why we need them. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, my my view on sea level rise is that it's uh, kind of like a snowballing effect. I think probably in the next 10 to 20 years, we're going to see very little in the way of impacts where things like wildfires yes. are much more newsworthy. But I can't help but think, looking back on the sort of deep time history of um, uh, of uh, climate change, sea level rise is really going to be the defining story of it. Um, moving on, um, just one little thing I put out, uh, just a little vox pop, didn't get that many votes, but I think it's interesting uh, to see people's views nonetheless. I put a little poll out saying progress on SRM in the last decade is best described as either incremental or transformational. Um, and 83% of the wholly insignificant sample um, <laughs> uh, agreed that it was um, incremental, the progress, which is, I think is quite telling. It was an overwhelming result, uh, although a very small sample of people. But uh, um, with, with that, what's your view on that? I mean, do you think, do, do you think the, the, the field is transforming? Are we making rapid progress or are we really just sort of tinkering around without making, you know, really getting anywhere uh, in terms of improving or testing the fundamental ideas? I'd like to think that we were. And I, I can't well, I tell. As well, yeah, <laughs> I know, right? But, I mean, I can't tell whether that's just a general wishful thinking on my part, which is sort of, well, I'm happy to be that optimistic, but I don't know, the jury's still out for me. I, I'd like to believe so, but I'm not sure that I'm, I'm, I'm sitting on my um neutral dispassionate sort of chair in that respect i i think it's just wishful thinking really but i see more of it in the press and everything else and there's but there's still a lot yeah. of chat about climate climate deniers and, and and just but there's entrenchment and and polarization in so many areas that it's hard to tell whether there's any difference but i would like yeah, I to think, think my, so my, my view on it is that the to some extent i think that the fact it's incremental is not necessarily a bad thing because it means perhaps we got most of the basics right i mean that's kind of helpful right but yeah. i think what we really need to do is to, to to start moving out of the lab into the real world it, it, my personal fear is that we, we there's only so much far far there's only so much you can learn from going down a kind of computer testing rabbit hole eventually you have to go up and do some real world experiments we've got some interesting news coming up later on that um so stay tuned for that um moving on um to one of the papers that come out this week um there's a, um, uh, a paper that was uh, shared by Jesse Reynolds, a fairly obvious uh, source of information on geoengineering, really good person to follow on Twitter if you Absolutely. Um, yeah, not familiar. Um, and uh, that was uh, by Kate, Ricky and others. Um, I don't have the uh, full uh, list in front of me. Oh, I can call that up with a link. Hang on, see if this loads. So the paper is entitled who turns the global thermostat and by how much? Um, and that was by Wilfred Rickles, uh, Kate Rickey, and a whole hill of authors. I'm not going to go through the whole lot. And they're looking at deployment in 2050. Uh, and looking at a, 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 a kind of fairly uh, detailed um, economic model. Uh, this debate on Twitter went on for several days, actually. And it was a really kind of quite in-depth discussion about how um, the economic performance was weighted, you know, whether faster growing countries or slower growing countries were hit, were hit um, uh, or, or most, most affected by, um, uh, by geoengineering. The, one of the things that this paper did is to, to draw, you know, uh, as far as I recall, to draw a clearer distinction between countries which benefit from warmer temperatures and countries that benefit from cooler temperatures. Uh, Kate Ricky did some really interesting work um, on this, looking at overcooling um and i've utilized those results in some work that i'm doing at the moment um and 
I, I, I think these, these kind of economic modeling um, papers are kind of interesting. I think that it's, they get a bit crystal ball wave um, gazing after a while. <laughs> um, what, what, what's your view? What, what do you, do you think that we really can predict the future and you know, how, how people are going to react properly to temperature changes in the future that we can judge anything meaningful from, you know, economic modeling of how things might be, you know, you know, in Sudan in a two degree world versus a three degree world, or, or can we just not get that level of detail? Any views? I think, I think it's a really interesting thing that needs a lot of work, a lot more work doing on it. I mean, you know, there's people but fundamentally, I mean, do you think that you can usefully predict the economic performance of countries and regions far into the future to, 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 to no. the extent that you can? I mean, not, that, that's one of my concerns that, that it's going to work. Not to that degree, yeah. no, because there's too much that changes. I mean, for example, you know, the, the whole thermostat thing is, is a, it's a fantastic image, but it's sort of, you know, there's been more done on migration, I mean, the great climate migration or, or you know, refugees from climate change but it's so intertwined with other things you can't really tell and that's the point it's so economic and economic performance of countries and global the global economy is so intertwined you can't necessarily just describe an effect to that i think it's yeah it's, I, my, my, it, the my, complexity my, my, is the difficulty there yeah i agree i think my, my my concern about these longer term economic projections is that the the degree to which people can adapt to um different temperatures like say for example you know like if you're looking at crop models um mm. many crop models have got fixed planting patterns and they say okay well if temperature changes this much then you know people are going to lose this amount of agricultural productivity but but farmers aren't stupid right they're going to plant different crops if the crops they were planting don't grow so well right and uh, there just haven't been that many studies that look at um you know intelligently predict human behavior and, and don't assume that they continue to do really dumb stuff that was a very technical paper and you know i i i didn't go through it in as much detail as, as jesse did and and he was um struggling with some of the graphs and figures um in terms of really understanding exactly how uh things were um cal calculated that's not to fault the work of the paper but it's um to just to to uh highlight the the level of uh care and attention and and detailed diving that has to be done to properly understand these things and you know when sometimes i reviewing you know not peer reviewing but looking at 20 odd papers a week like it was this week particularly busy week and often it's very hard to take that you know the time that's necessary to dive right into the detail so hopefully in future episodes we'll we'll have a bit more time and um uh, to go into deep dives and bring some authors on i did actually approach uh, one or two of the authors of papers that we're talking about today but um didn't get uh, people arranging to come on uh, at relatively short notice. So hopefully that'll be something we can discuss for the future. One of the big yes, pieces of uh, commercial news that's come out uh, this week is uh, Carbon Engineering's announcement um, that they are um, going to be um, partnering with 1.5, which is a development company formed by um, uh, Oxy and Rasheen. Um, and that's... Uh, for their Permian Basin project. Um, that, the, my understanding of that, that's an enhanced oil recovery project. Uh, I think by some margin, it's the largest investment in physical build out of carbon dioxide removal infrastructure in the world. So certainly one to watch. Um, I've got mixed feelings about this. Um, what are your thoughts, Claire, on um, carbon engineering as a company, their sort of process and the 
economic direction that they're going in have you have you got um I, strong opinions on that or not i don't have enough info yet at the moment i'm afraid that's something that i'm not quite as up speed on with you uh, as you um but i mean generalized thoughts is that it's sort of it, it's just odd to me that that oil companies are sort of the ones doing the the technology they're using, but, they're know, using the who, um who, who using cares the in a way yeah Using carbon dioxide output for enhanced oil recovery, right? And so yeah, yeah. Having so a ready it's an source odd of genesis of that sort of technology, but I mean, in a way, it's almost like, well, who cares if it's, you know, the climate change Satan's <laughs> honing um, technology that might be useful further on. Yeah, I mean, I I, I, I try and try not to sort of blame, um, you know, uh, sort of climate change world out into goodies and baddies and no that, i know i, I know that was a bit glib of me i'm afraid <laughs> really no i get it i understand but i mean my i think that that perception is very is very prevalent in the environmental movement that people view yeah. the world in goodies and baddies and then they get in the car and drive and use the petrol from the companies that they say they hate right so yes there's totally a, a degree of kind of virtue signaling in, in some of this um, <laughs> per, personal positioning right <laughs> so yeah. but just to just to look at the, some of the economic and uh, and, and technical issues around this build-out. Um, There's it, quite a lot to unpack here. Uh, the enhanced oil recovery play, I think, is pretty interesting. I mean, I, I don't see any particular reason why um, we can't um, have uh, a carbon-negative oil. And certainly, if you have tax credits like 45Q in the United States that have been designed to incentivise um, sequestration, then there's no there's no particular technical reason, as far as I'm aware, that you, you can't have carbon negative oil and that, that gives you a you know a, a, a potentially relatively rapid way of decarbonizing at least a part of the, the oil economy and i think that's there's some merit in that uh, the, one of the concerns i've got about the carbon engineering process and i think that there's quite, quite a lot to be concerned about the carbon engineering process it's a very high temperature process and uh because they're calcining car, calcium carbonate um i can't remember exactly that uh the temperature level is about 700 um, degree centigrade. I think they've got to get up to maybe maybe near a nine. I've, you know, I've, I've worked, I've worked, done some research on this, but I can't remember the exact number. But it's a it's a high temperature process. It's not you're not using low grade heat like um, Climeworks works are. Um, yeah. And the moment carbon engineering uses um, natural gas, and it actually uses quite a surprising amount of natural gas to to recover carbon dioxide. It's a very um, you know, I think from a raw materials point of view, you could argue it's quite a wasteful process. There are potential ways to decarbonize. Um, uh, this process using things like nuclear heat. That's one of the areas of research that I've um, uh, done uh, recently, trying to get a paper out on that. Interestingly, air miners, who are a relatively, um, you know, in my view, quite a high quality community, um, did a really interesting seminar on uh, nuclear heat um, with a Canadian company, I forget the name, it might be called Terrestrial Energy or something like that. Um, I should have had that in my notes, um, but uh, they were talking about um, uh, using high temperature nuclear power. I kind of thought, figured I was one of, you know, not a lot of people have thought about that, but obviously it's a bit bigger no. an idea than, than, than I thought. But, uh, you know, carbon engineering, I think I've discussed it internally as far as I recall from glancing conversations I've had with people there, but I don't think that it's been, you know, pursued. From what I understand, their main focus is, is on combustion-based processes. I think their their second um, uh, mm. choice is to move to an electrified model, from what I recall. But this is very much the edges of my recollection and knowledge. Hopefully, they'll come back and give a bit more detail on this, and maybe we'll get them on the show one day. Um, the um, in terms of the, the the economics of this this plant, 
Um, it's really interesting because the Petronova CCS uh, unit has closed recently. That's been mothballed. Um, and one of the reasons for that is because the low oil price doesn't justify the additional uh, cost of pro providing CCS um, for the enhanced oil recovery because so going back They're to your question cheap. before about about you know whether it's whether it's useful to look into the future about economics of controlling the thermostat, I think that that's useful in an academic way. But this is far more interesting about how the market basically pushes one kind of yeah, tunnel against the other. Yeah, microeconomics versus macroeconomics, yes. right? Yeah, precisely. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. I think you know that you can say more and more reliably about the microeconomics of geoengineering than you can about the macroeconomics of geoengineering. It's very difficult to sort of form a view reliably as to how you know if, mm. looking back even you know just to when we were when, when you and i were uh we nippers going out and uh, <laughs> uh being irresponsible and wasting our youth you know we didn't have um you know facebook twitter the iphone all of the things that you know define the world as as, as we live in it at the moment and you know those revolutions come and, and they're, they're often pretty hard to see so in my view projecting uh what the world's economic situation might look in you know 30 50 years time when you've got fully um exploited uh technologies like autonomous vehicles and things like that you know the mold may be, may be almost a uh unre you know it's a yeah and there might be multiple pandemics very difficult Oh, yeah, I mean, we wrong footed by that. You know, it's just like, who knows? You can't, there's too many imponderables to, to look yeah. too far, I think. I think I'd love to, one person I'd like to get on the show and interview about this is uh, Gernot Wagner. Uh, oh, yeah, um, absolutely. He, he's, um, uh, you know, I, I try and understand the very fringes of his work on uh, uh, calculating based on high levels of uncertainty. He's done a lot of work on this. Uh, Climate shock is his um, uh, sort of seminal public uh, pop, you know, pop side piece on this. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of books as a format, but I probably one that I should read. Um, but him and the late Martin Wiseman or Marty Wiseman, can't remember his name, um, did a lot of work on you know dealing with you know large scale uncertainties in future economic predictions. So that's um, something I'd like to to get back to. Anyway, moving on, there's there's mm. more to talk about. So. Um, <laughs> The um, uh, in terms of research projects, there's um, uh, a scientific study coming up, um, which is being done um, to establish uh, the baseline levels of um, aerosols in the stratosphere, which is really important. If, we, if we're going to start manipulating that, we need to have a really clear understanding of that. Uh, that wasn't widely published, uh, publicised. Uh, I heard about that via Kelly uh, Wanser. I think that's pronounced correctly, uh, might be wrong. Uh, and that's a project um, that uh, is uh, uh, being uh, run by David Fahey. Uh, not sure I pronounced that either. And that's, uh, NOAA, uh, it's a NOAA project with um, uh, Worldview Space. So uh, hopefully we'll hear more about that as a result from that um, start coming out. Um, that's exactly the kind of practical experiment I think um, is necessary. Um, to, before, be, if we're going to make um, uh, geoengineering, um, you know, a, a well-governed technology, it's those kind of real-world experiments that I feel are being are, are important. I and mean, this one's, in, you know, interesting because it's an environmental background one, but it's not, it's not a, a real-world test. Um, obviously, when it comes to balloons, we've got the Scopex project, which is under consideration, a bit of news 
um, to discuss about that later. Um, we'll, moving on um, to that now, convenient segue. Um, bit of a spat <laughs> here between um, uh, an account called uh, Geoengineering Monitor. Um, and they uh, are calling out um, uh, issues around the membership of the Scopex Advisory Committee. Um, so Scopex is a uh, project to launch a balloon into the stratosphere. Uh, it's being run out of the, uh, one of the Harvard um, laboratories under the uh, umbrella, I think, of the Keith Group. I'm not sure whether it's directly a Keith Group project or whether it's adjacent to Keith Group. Um, but that's the idea of that is to do you know, a very, very um, small scale test from a single balloon launch, uh, squirt some aerosols of, I think, as yet undetermined nature into the stratosphere and then track them with the balloon, see how they spread and, um, you know, try and learn as much as possible about the process. Yeah, um, I think it's pr I'm, proving very sorry. controversial. I think it will be really interesting to have a sort of a, a bit of a mini survey to see what's coming and what's out there, because you're right, there's just not enough experimentation. There's, there's too many lots of models and not enough actual science being done. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say that models aren't science, but yeah. No, no, but you know what I mean? Physical experiments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. the physical experiments are really important. Um, but the, and the engineering, um, so I mean, there, are, there are two, there are two aspects of this. So firstly, you've got to look at, looking at the world and developing your instruments to do so. And the second one is to, um, experiment on geoengineering distribution technologies, both at a science level as in, you know, what does it do to the environment? Um, which is more kind of Scopex's study. You're not looking at the distribution technologies in terms of building technology that you're going to scale. Uh, whereas there's been some recent um, research at the Great Barrier Reef, uh, where it's much more engineering tests. You're not really, they're not really particularly trying to uh, run very, very detailed under analysis and um, build understanding of the environmental performance, but they've just been going out and test, testing some kit to see what it does, right? And see if it works properly. So Scopex is, um, there's a kind of continuum there, but Scopex is definitely more towards the environmental um, experimentation as opposed to building up a distribution method which can then be scaled. But in terms of um, the Scopex advisory shindig, I mean, Jer um, Jesse Reynolds has been um, having a, a little squabble about um, uh, whether or not the um, uh, the members of uh, Scopex or whether Scopex is a conflict of interest. Um, Louise Bedworth is, is, is sort of since flashpoint of this. I, excuse me, I don't take a huge amount of interest in the minutiae of the politics of this, but there's been some suggestion that um, uh, the California Strategic Growth Council is in some way compromised. Jesse Reynolds takes the view that it's not, your engineering monitor account takes the view that it is. Um, one thing I think is really worth commenting on, I'd really like to hear your view on this. Claire, is, is, is the degree to which Scopex particularly, but also other experiments of that ilk in general, have really become a kind of crucible to test all moral and political arguments <laughs> about geoengineering. And, I, you know, from my point of view, I think this is absolutely absurd. Um, and I, I've been, Scopex has had some public comments um, uh, and... Um, uh, I put in comments along the lines of it's just a balloon, get on with it. Um, uh, oh, absolutely. I, c I couldn't agree more because it, it does seem to be the kind of the fulcrum of every every armchair ethicist absolutely, in, in yeah. the world. I mean, I, mean I, have, I have huge sympathy with a lot of the people who complain about public participation and everything else, but these are minute experiments that are only going to add to the 
the, the, the data that we can then discuss at a proper level. I mean, you know, I, I, you know, I'm more in the, the kind of ethical, legal, political side of things than you are, and that's 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 the great compliment. But I, I, I do think I, I, there is a, there's a kind of a medium to high level of absurdity in the, the outrage and the, and the terror and the, and the, the fear. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we saw but this with the Spice Project again. Then, yes. Yeah. Which was full of water up into the sky. <laughs> yeah. You know, and people who happily take a transatlantic flight uh, or um, go and buy a new car. There's no other target, so they just they just throw everything they've got at that. Well, to some extent, I think it's a, a matter of political opportunity, opportunism. But I, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't take it all in bad faith. I think there are some people that, that view this as you know, experimentation being the kind of butterfly's wings that starts a hurricane. Um, yeah. It's kind of uh, you know path deterministic, slippery slope type argument. And I, you know, I, I, I kind of respect that view to an extent, but I, I think that the the risk is that you take that to its logical conclusion then you know any any scientific experiment just on fundamental science you you're supposed to be able to kind of work through this predictive path of everything that might happen as a result of you you know discovering anything you know a vaccine a blue led you know whatever come any technology you might think of. you start you start loading you know putting this kind of level of ethical scrutiny and testing on um uh on, on onto individual uh, essentially benign experiments and 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 the whole thing just becomes you know the whole edifice of scientific um and engineering progress just becomes gummed up completely you know if you if you're trying to design a way to destroy progress then then that's how you do it because you you're, you're setting an absolutely impossible bar for people to to cross you know they're basically saying you know how can you ensure no downstream ethical harms resulting from this experiment well you know obviously you can't can you so no, but you know that that that, that yeah, just engenders I mean, absolute paralysis. There is a point at which you know technology becomes self-determining, and, and so we're already halfway down this path, so we must continue it and everything else. And that's you know it's not just a momentum arguing argument, but it's a kind of um, people get invested in it, and I don't mean just in an economic sense, but that that's so far down the line. From where yeah, I fully agree. You know, you know there's balloons, kind of locking you know. where everyone's making their living out of it, and you know, we're all we're all conducting ourselves on the on the assumption that this all has to go ahead. Is is certainly not the case for solid geoengineering. I think that you know there is quite a degree of locking to some extent for carbon dioxide removal. Um, you know, at least a, as part of, of of the of the technology mix. Whether that ever scales or not is is another matter. But there are big economic barriers in that in that regard. Um, but you know, the, I I really get quite irritated by this whole Scopax malarkey and the spice situation before it because I mean I've been in this field for over a decade now and 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 and, and the de degree of difficulty which is it, it, the barriers that are erected in front of researchers who are trying to do essential practical research to go out and find the you know what works and what doesn't and how we we could choose to do this it, the, the whole thing has just had sand thrown in the gears and you know, I, I, I don't want to assume bad faith, but I can't help but think that some of it has been, as you imply, you know, a highly politicised um, process designed to, you know, take a very opportunistic um, uh, approach, saying, okay, well, here's an opportunity to gum up the process. Let's have a crack at it. You know, I'd, I'd like to think people aren't doing that, but I struggle to convince myself that 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 the motivations are entirely innocent of the people who are 
I think it's also a strange denial that this stuff is really necessary. And, you know, you know, one of my kind of rants for many a year has been sort of why, why, why are all the IMs assuming we're doing all the CDR when we, we don't know how to do it and the numbers don't work? No, I, I fully agree. I think, you know, there's a lot, there's a know, lot of nonsense. I still can't get my head around that, that, that nobody's sort of, and I think it's sort of, it's just blaming the wrong thing. Sort of engineers are saying, okay, right, how can we solve this, what we see as an engineering problem? And it's not just an engineering problem. Obviously, it's a, a yeah. massive multidisciplinary issue. But you can take in, on board all these complete, you know, the, the, the public participation, the ethical issues, the technology lock-in. Nevertheless, you have to start off with some data to be able to then assess those things properly on an interdisciplinary basis. And we're just not there yet. And everyone's just making a too big a fuss about the other bits. And it's it's a silo kind of thing. What about my silo? And it's not been taken account of. And, you know. Yeah, I, I, I think that, that you've got to separate out the arguments about whether SRM is or isn't necessary from the arguments about whether SRM does or doesn't work. I mean, I think that yeah. the most dangerous situation, this is something that David Keith has drawn attention to in the past. Um, uh, of saying that you know the kind of the worst situation would be uh, to be in a situation where you would have to go and do it but not having done the research to know how to do it when you're just essentially firing blind and you know I, I, I can't disagree with that really yeah. um, moving on now to some um, uh, upcoming events um, uh, so there's a if people have been following there's a the NCAR webinar series have been quite good um the uh this all is a kind of child of covid um in that there was supposed to be a um uh, a jolly to um NCAR which I was booked on along with a bunch of other people um to go and it I think it would have been quite an interesting trip um but that didn't happen because of um diseases and so um, that morphed into a webinar series which appears now to become semi-permanent and might well become permanent and uh, that's the CCIS series um, yeah. forthcoming on uh, Wednesday August 29th at 11am EDT um, and this um, episode is on ethics and governance which has not been their traditional um, uh, focus and uh, uh, that's got Morrow and Reynolds and Josh Horton um, on a great panel. Speakers. I think absolutely yeah, great really, yeah, really good. Yeah, um, I'm a big fan of Jesse's good contrarian thinker in the space, and generally, I think as well, David Morrow is very, very clear. You know, you don't need you don't know you need a philosopher until you've got one. Um, <laughs> always been one of my one of my favourites on the scene. Um, so yeah, um, Josh Horton's a good egg as well. Um, so that's definitely something I'm going to be looking to dial into. I've had, um, I don't think I've missed any of them, um, yet. I've been pretty diligent at the end of the day. If I was going to fly all the way over to America and, um, turn up, I figured I could, uh, make sure I'm on time for the Zooms. Um, have you checked into any of them? Um, no, I haven't. I've meant to, but I'm definitely, definitely going to do this one, um, next week. Absolute uh, slacker. It's, it's certainly, uh, <laughs> admitted, admitted, um, but I think, uh, yeah, Zoom is um, it's, uh, changed the world. It has indeed changed the world. Hopefully we'll <laughs> never have to go anywhere ever again because I'm loving my living room right now. Um, <laughs> moving on um, uh, with further uh, fawning um, over David Morrow. Um, he has long... I thought I was the only with... one. Pardon? I thought no, I was the only no, no, one. There's, 
Well, well, there's lots of there's lots of fawn, there's lots of fawning over over David Morrow this week because he's done quite a bit of stuff. Um, so he's released a paper called Principles for Thinking about Carbon Dioxide Removal in yep. Just Climate Policy, um, along with um, Mark Thompson and uh, you know a pile of other people. Um, but he's lead, so yeah, we'll give him all the credit. So only fair. Um, uh, I'm just going. That's in Cell. Uh, weirdly, that's a Cell has done a, a quite. Uh, it's one of the. I think it's a Cell spin-off journal. It's like a uh, like Nature have done. They've kind of launched a whole bunch of papers that um, kind of uh, taking a specific angle on the, uh, giving it a new like a new vertical to publish in, but under the brand of Cell or Nature or whatever. So um, you know, I think some of these journals are better better than others. I don't think the brand extension branding approach is um, flawless. I don't think uh, getting something in Nature Comms is quite the same as getting it in Nature Nature. But you know. Um, that's a discussion for an, another pub yeah. um, but very briefly summarising this paper because he's handily summarised it in four uh, sentence length headings don't forget the long game uh, it's not all about the carbon um, split don't lump and don't bet it all on being right now uh, I'm not I'm not going to go and unpack the entire lot of that there's you know each one of those headings are going to evolve episode on quite frankly and um i'd rather morrow was here to defend his ideas but um nevertheless that paper's got quite a bit of quite a bit of love um i'm working on some ethics stuff myself as well and uh it's really interesting to see other people looking at the, the kind of um justice and ethics angle um of of making these technologies work as we've seen from the scopex thing they're you know, so incredibly controversial and having a, a systematic approach to um, uh, these, uh, the, to, to determining and, and exploring the ethical arguments is, a, is, is handy to have a framework because instead of just uh, repeating um, uh, tired and, and um, exhausted arguments, you've actually got new papers coming out on ethics, which you know help make real-world considerations about you know what do we do tomorrow with this technology? And, you know, do we have that? Do, do we launch this experiment? Do we? do we get this tax incentive? Um, interestingly, the UK government is um, launching a tax incentive um, consultation on um, uh, carbon dioxide removal at the moment. Um, there's an online uh, webinar about that. I don't have uh, that right up in front of me in my notes. I think it's September the 7th or something. So that's a big just, Zoom um, meeting. I've just uh, sent you an email. You might want to want to check just about that. Oh, cool. All right. Let me see if I can do this without um, ruining the flow. <laughs> um so okay well um yeah well, it looks like we're running out of time i didn't get um everything done that i needed to get covered there's still quite a bit for this week um but uh bearing in mind we're running out of time i best uh call it a day um so i'm andrew uh signing off and recommending reject and i'm claire and i i'm going to agree with andrew most of the time <laughs>